0: I'm On the horn, it is a five one two Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. We play jams from very talented human beings that you can catch live right here in the ATX. Who we jamming right now, Patrick. This is a song
1: by Intergalactics
0: featuring the Groove Line
1: Horns. Through the Groove Line Horns, you hear that horn section they play every Tuesday at Sea Boys. Uh, you bring in some uh, some mm-hmm. MCs to kind of do some hi- uh, do some hip hop over the top of this. You got some singers. You got a. Uh, a lot of cool stuff that happens, but it is always a party Tuesday at boys and uh, this Tuesday is Fat Tuesday. Nice. So I thought we get a place to be able to get out, and uh, Rod, you know, you guys will be on location on Tuesday as well. That's right. So for Fat Tuesday plans, you can go do this at night, but you can also go join Ball Don't Lie. They're going to be at Mud Bugs in Buda. That's 306 South Main Street in Buda. Uh Going to be out there celebrating... A uh, Fat Tuesday.
0: I've heard my man E. Hogan bragging about this spot and uh, how great it is. He's apparently got Cajun food to I, get
1: you ready for Man for Fat Tuesday. My favorite genre of food is probably Cajun food. Oh, so you're gonna be well, you because you don't eat in public, so you're going to be out there. So I, you may you may have to break that a little bit before the show. Oh, and yeah, definitely no, you're going to take home.
0: I'm definitely going to snack a little bit while I'm there, and then I'm hitting up wifey, and then we're going to you know look at the menu, and then I'm taking tons, copious amounts. Yeah, that's of food I know to the crib.
1: Yeah, you're going to come with two oh. bags. It's going to be a two bagger.
0: Oh, I, and it's hard to find good Cajun food in Austin. I know there are some good Cajun food joints, and I've you know visited them all, uh, most of them anyway, not all of them, most of them, and they're pretty good. But I have not had. Uh, uh, this is it, Mudbugs? Is that
1: Mudbugs in buta
0: Yes, Mudbugs in Beuda. I cannot wait. Yes. I'm really excited about so that. That'll so that'll be so Tuesday Tuesdays.
1: If anybody wants to go out there and join? I will not be able to be out there, but the guys will be out there. Ah. Because I got it. to do Texas basketball game that night. Oh, that is so true. So I will be a the Texas know. basketball Man's game.
0: Man, has uh, got to get double duty going. He's got a basketball game this weekend. As a matter of fact, Texas, Oklahoma. That'll be tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit about that matchup coming up in 6 o'clock. You can be a part of the show on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Ooh, someone says, I'm making some gumbo tonight. And shrimp and grits are awesome. Okay, making gumbo tonight? Ooh, how's that rue? How's that rue? If you say what's the rule, then you ain't making good gumbo. Then you don't hang out with enough Cajun people. <laughs> How's that rule? That's the big. That's the toughest part of the gumbo.
1: You room. know what, I, I am I am convinced rue is a made-up word that was just by someone who couldn't understand a <laughs> Cajun person. Could be. Yeah, if you were just like, hey, what, what's the secret? I made that rue.
0: Oh. And they're like, they were saying something else. But they're like, are they rude, they good to put a rue in that number. And the reason I know you, the joke is actually has some basis of fact in it. I got family, and I don't always understand them. I took my wife down in Louisiana to meet some of my Cajun family. She's like, I can't understand them all the time. I was like, babe, I can't understand all the time. You're just not. And you just laugh. No. Because most of the time it's a joke, an inappropriate joke of some kind. You good, just laugh and keep it moving if you don't understand what they're saying. Uh there you go. But yes, uh oh, dude Kelly said, I'll make my famous chicken and sausage gumbo. Ooh. You ain't gonna put no seafood up in that joint? Uh, just that's okay.
1: same, man. I'm cool ch- with it. Ch- hey, chicken and sausage. I mean, chickens getting a little more expensive right now, but That is true. Oh, but, you're right. but normally it's it's a, a cost saving measure to keep uh, the seafood out.
0: Hey, that's that, hey, you know what? I ain't knocking no gumbo without the seafood. Hey. It's all good. Long as, as long as you get the root right. That's how I sound Cajun right there. Roo You gotta get the root right.
1: <laughs> you gotta get the roo right. Sound Cajun or Scooby Doo, I don't know.
0: <laughs> man did I just realized it that how I said it. Oh like, oh man, you just trying to say that will make you sound Cajun. Get the roo right.
1: Oh, oh, that's how you got that Avery Johnson coming out of you now. <laughs>
0: A, Avery does sound Cajun. Where's he from Louisiana. the South? Is he from Louisiana? Yeah, he's from Louisiana. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Because he sounds like he's from Louisiana. He just yeah. swamp people too. I no, went to a small well, high school in Louisiana. And people have said I sound like uh, sometimes like Avery Johnson yeah. as well. That I got a little Avery Johnson. Reach out and grab it. Uh, all right, enough of that. All right, spec five. A lot of a uh, lot of uh, texts that are giving uh, compliments to Mud Bugs. So uh, appreciate that. Really excited about that. Fat Tuesday remote we got coming up next week. Five one two three three seven three seven seven six. We got a lot of NFL nuggets to hit. If we can't cram all of them into this segment, then we'll just hit them into the five thirty. I do want to try to talk some Texas football in Rods right around the day. So uh, we're gonna to try to wrap up all of these. NFL topics and uh, talking Texas and Cowboys as quick as we can. So let's start with the Eric B enemy story uh, right now. All the reports are, and most of them coming from Ian Rapp report, uh, is that Washington and Eric B now second consecutive day of interviews are within the interview process. They are working towards a deal, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for him to be the new play caller and offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders It is also reported that Matt Nagy is expected to be the top choice to replace Eric Bieniemy with uh, Kansas City. Ironically, he was with Kansas City as the offensive coordinator and got a head coaching job and is already done and already, you know, done with his head coaching tenure uh, that he had with the Bears. He's actually was back with the Kansas City Chiefs as a as senior assistant and quarterback coach. So it only makes, perf- I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's going to be an easy transition for him. Uh, remember, uh, Eric Biennium has been with Andy Reese since 2013 as the running back coach, and then he was promoted to offensive coordinator in 2018, first year that Patrick Mahomes became the starting quarterback. So here's my take on Eric Biennium. I said this years ago, and you probably have heard it before. Eric Biennium finally realized he was in the friend zone. And we've all been there. We've all had that moment. So don't feel any shame about it. We've all had that moment where a person that we really want to date, that we really like, And we're, you know, we're spending time with them, And, you know, it's like maybe it's not going, you know, as as fast as you like. Maybe it's not, you know, going as just exactly how you would have planned. But you don't know you're in the friend zone. And then there's a moment where he or she starts talking to you about somebody they're interested in dating. Somebody they think it's hot. Somebody they want to bang it out with. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I I thought that was going to be me. I thought that was going to be me. And the agony of being in a friend zone is you don't realize it until one of those moments. And then either you stick around and you hope you can break through and get out of the friend zone, which is one of the toughest things to do, period, if you've been there before. you Hopefully you can get out of the friend zone. And the the agony is they never consider you while they're looking around elsewhere for all greener pastures and for these other potential uh, love affairs and romantic interests. They never consider you. And you're right there. You're closer than everybody else. You get invited over for Netflix, but never the chill.
1: Man, I wish I could find a nice guy like you.
0: Exactly. You're so sweet. Yes, I am sweet. What the hell's going on here? And you're never – that's that's Eric Benny, right? You want the – oh, you want a, a someone who's coordinated, the best offense in the league? Eric and me, raises his hand. You want someone who's worked with the best quarterback in the league? He raises his hand. You want someone who's worked with the best offensive mind in the league? He raises his hands. Oh, how about you want a champion, a Super Bowl champion, multiple times over? He raises his hand. He had nobody considered something. You want a guy who could
1: uh, identify a flaw <laughs> on a defense, call right, draw up the play, and then call the play twice in two situations to score twice. touchdowns in the Super Bowl, and then that uh, defensive coordinator
0: still gets a head coaching job the next day? He raises his hand. <laughs> what about me? I'm here. And that's Eric bien He's in a friend zone. He never gets it. And I think the moment for him where, which was the unfortunate moment where he knew he was in a friend zone, was when after out-coaching both opposing coordinators in the Super Bowl, they both got head coaching jobs. And he went, what about me? I'm here. I, I, you see what I just did? He's like, yeah, we don't care about what you just did. She's not interested in you. She, she's just not that into you. So he had to take a take a backward step, Patrick. And sometimes you got to have a minor setback for the major comeback. That's what he's hoping his Washington gig is. Yeah. Out of the friend zone, man. I, I've been there. It is a terrible place to be. You just feel so oh, ashamed of yeah. this.
1: I, I <laughs> wish I wish he had gone to a team that was easy to root for, but I'll be rooting for Eric B
0: Hey, you know who will be? Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey's favorite team is Washington. Come I know. Well,
1: he's, and apparently he's in one of the uh, groups oh, you're bidding right. for it. You're right. Good point. He is one of him the and guys. Like KD? KD, and I think Jay Z, and oh, a bunch of like, they're that all. That would be cool. They're all bidding for it right
0: now. So. That would be awesome. He might be one of the part owners. Oh, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, yeah. So it's like he's had 16 teams bring him in for an interview. Half the damn league has brought him in, and he had 17 interviews. Is and I got that from Fox Sports, so they didn't go in depth about him. I guess I got to go back and figure out what team brought him in twice, as Patrick said, because that team was really close. They really, they really liked him. Um, so anyway, Eric B is getting his gig, so that's one of the uh, the big stories out there. And it lo- and and for everybody saying that he's never called plays, that's probably the most miseducated reason as to why he doesn't get a head coaching job. Um, Man, Matt Nagy, Doug Peterson, Kevin Kevin O'Connell, help Frank Reich, Zach Taylor, Nick Sirianni, Andy Reid, never called plays before he got the job with the Eagles. It happens all the time. I mean, I, so it's that's not the reason why. The, there is some baggage. He has been arrested, uh, had arrest for a suspended license, banned from the campus. He had an interaction with a parking attendant, he had a DUI in two thousand one. Um... He he was on that Colorado staff where they had the scandal where the players had these sexual assault allegations against them. He was on that staff. So there's some questions there about what did he know about how much of what was going on. So there is some baggage. And maybe that's the reason he can't get a coaching job. Those are things that should be taken seriously. But there have been coaches with baggage. Matt Patricia being one of them who had a sexual assault charge dismissed before he got the gig with Detroit. That have had baggage and been vetted. Uh, that baggage has been vetted. So well, we'll see what happens with him, but it's not final, but I believe uh, right now it would be a huge shock if he didn't end up getting that uh, offensive, offensive coordinator job in Washington. Alright, let's talk about the other NFL-related story. The Tush Push. For those who don't know what the Tush Push is, uh, and I've talked about it actually on this show, we broke it down uh, in depth, actually, and talked about it right when the playoffs started. The tush push essentially the Philadelphia Eagles unique version of the quarterback sneak. Uh there is a rule against pulling a runner or a ball carrier forward, but in 2005 the NFL changed the rule where yeah, you cannot pull a player forward but you can push a player forward. Now, most teams have just let this loophole uh go without <clears throat> any, you know, regard. They haven't really cared about it, it didn't really matter. Nick Sirianni, give him and the Eagles credit because of the ideal personnel a quarterback who was a power lifter in high school, also a dual threat guy in Jalen Hurts, and a Hall of Fame center in Jason Kelsey, they decided you know what, the quarterback sneak actually can be something that can be weaponized within the construct of our offense. Uh, they had the basically the greatest quarterback sneak numbers in the history of the NFL. They converted 36 of 40 this season. Um, 10 rushing first downs for Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. Six of those were on quarterback sneaks alone essentially you have the traditional quarterback sneak but they call it a tush push because they have two to three players behind him and each of those players grabs a buttock all right they grab a cheek and then they just plow forward and they usually get two or three yards they run over everybody uh with that and now there are several elements is now the competition committee is looking into it dean blandino said i think he's the Uh, Fox Sports uh, rules analyst. He said, quote, I think the league is going to look at this and I'd be shocked if they don't make a change. He said, I was talking to Sean Payton during Sunday's game and he said, we're going to do this every time next season if they don't take it out with the Broncos. It is a, remember, it's a copycat league. So hell, this is like uh, aggressive mimicking. This is even far from copycatting. So other teams are going to try it. But Dean Blandino went on to say, It amounts to a rugby scrum. The NFL wants to showcase the athleticism and skill of our athletes. This is just not a skillful play. This is just a tactic that is not aesthetically pleasing. And I think the competition committee is going to look at it. And he also brought up an example. He said, if you remember on field goals and extra points, they used to be able to push the defensive linemen into the formation. You would find the weak link on the offensive line um, and you would have their legs interlocked and you would get two, sometimes three defensive linemen and two linebackers all pushing into one player. And we got rid of that. So essentially the three options Dean Blandino states are going to be get rid of it all together um, or essentially obviously let it lay and just decide, you know what, this is something only the Eagles are doing. Nobody else is really going to do it or disallow it only on quarterback sneaks. Say it is a situation specific rule on quarterback sneaks. You cannot push a player forward on QB sneaks. Those are the options. Um, and he says "Outlong it you on know, sneaks is easy. Now, for decades, it was illegal in the NFL when they asked Dean Blandino why the hell did they changed the rule. Then if it was illegal before uh, 2005 or disallowed before, then he said, quote, the officials weren't being directed to call it. So they stopped calling it. Unfortunately, the rule book was changed to accommodate the way the game was being officiated rather than the, the other way around, which is stupid. It wasn't so. It wasn't even. It didn't even need to be addressed, and they decided to randomly address it, which just yeah. didn't make any sense at all. What I will say is, I, I, I think it's a little unfair. Uh, it's a loophole the Eagles found. If they, if they can find the numbers on player safety, they can give me the numbers of concussions of that these quarterbacks and players are getting on quarterback sneaks, then that would be fine. But the truth is, they've never been concerned about the traditional quarterback sneak. Only this one. And I think it's more about how effective it has been against opponents who really don't have an answer or a counter for it. And maybe those complaints now have they've swelled to the point where it's more than four, three or four teams. They're saying, no, no, disallow this because they're the only team doing it. We don't want to have our quarterback doing that anyway. So, no, we don't like that, that, that tactic. Yeah. And, and, I mean, the Eagles didn't
1: even use the good part of it by throwing the ball which is they the did. main reason why it's why that one is worse than a wildcat or anything else was because technically he can just step back and toss the ball over the top and everybody jumps in they didn't even ever use that they didn't Pop I mean pass. are you saving that for next year because you may not be in the Super Bowl next year they should have that that would have been a, that's the
0: game that was the game that's, I mean, that's the next <laughs> philly special <laughs> that, that would have been a beautiful they ate would have the everybody yeah they they did it like six times the quarterback six so they had chances to do it
1: Yeah. i don't know why and they, they just, didn't i mean like to Pitch and catch
0: on a third and one. I to, need to, have to do go it. back
1: and look at the defensive formation, see how many safeties and how many like
0: how they bring them in the box. They well, bring yeah, how right far down. back were yeah. they, and
1: where was it to just to see if there was any chance for a guy to slip out?
0: It's a good point, um, but I didn't look at that. But you're right; that's that was the time to use it.
1: Yeah, um, and if you're not setting it up to where you have a guy who can bump out, then you're not setting the play up very well. All either. it takes
0: that that run to block for a little while, and if if Jalen Hurts can, and I know he can just buy himself a half a second where he looks like he's going everybody's going yeah. everybody's going to be go, go straight to a b line toward the line of scrimmage and that late that late release by the tight end it and they have done a jump pass by the way yeah they did a jump pass now i think it was a quarterback draw and not a quarterback sneak that they did a the, the, the jump yeah, pass yeah. on so he was in a shotgun but they have the concept in their repertoire I'm with you. I don't know why they haven't used that. But it, it might be disallowed. It might. And it, the reason, it kind of reminds me, I, I told this story earlier about the sugar huddle. Um, one of the great stories in NFL history is uh, the the late, great uh, Sam Weish. He was coaching the Bengals and the Bills coach Marv Levy. They were meeting in the uh, AFC title game. I think it's 1988 season. And Marvel Levy was upset because he figured the sugar huddle, which is the no huddle, uh, which was the, it was the first time in the NFL anybody popularized. They've they been doing it for like five years, by the way. They've been doing it since like 1983. It's when they first started doing the the, the sugar huddle. And I believe they, uh, that's a different story as to why they ca- start calling it the sugar huddle. But I'll get into that maybe later. But I digress. In the AFC title game, Marvel Levy famously said, uh, you know, When you break the huddle, and I know he's not huddling, so maybe it's hazy, they are not to come out with the 12 to 13 players on the field. He said he was told that by, like, you know, Pete Rozelle at the time. And maybe there is some truth to it, because two hours before the AFC title game, the league office called the Bengals and told them if they went no huddle, that they would get a 15-yard flag every time it happened. Bengals won the game anyway. Sam Rice said, the heck with them. We play by their rules, and we still beat them. Um... But later on, the uh, story came out, or at least it was told. I got it from ESPN. And Weiss said the league had previously informed uh, Paul Brown, the Bengals' owner, and NBC about you know this, this sanction, I guess, uh, this penalty for the no huddle. And the, word, the, the story is from ESPN is that Paul Brown, the owner, said he, he basically told the NFL – uh, along with the referee and the NFL delegate that was there, delegation that was there um, in the office. <laughs> he said, go get Pete Rozelle on the phone right now, because I want to tell him that if he interferes with the competitive balance of this game, and if we get penalized and lose this ball game, and the first thing I'm bringing up in the press conference is this conversation, and there are a lot of gamblers out there who aren't going to be very happy. <laughs> um and they said it was like 20 seconds before he came back. He left the room. He came back. I'm not exaggerating. I bet it was 20 seconds. Uh, commissioner says, go ahead. Use the no huddle. No problem.
1: Yeah. I love I love the a lot of gamblers as code for. Because they knew. Well, a code for mobsters. <laughs> Back then. Hey, hey, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna use I'm gonna use the code to say gunblers, but I'm gonna say people
0: <laughs> with guns. <laughs> people with guns. Uh okay, the, the 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 genesis of the sugar huddle, which obviously came became the no huddle, simply uh this is what Sam Weiss said. Uh Let's get up there and we don't have to be in a real huddle. You guys kind of cuddle up there within a yard and a yard and a half of the line. Listen to the quarterback and he will yell it out. Nobody can hear on the other side anyway, thanks to our crowd. And we'll just call it the cuddle huddle. They didn't go for that one because the guys didn't like the cuddle huddle. So he said we decided to call it the sugar huddle instead, which was a colloquialism from the South, meaning you sugar up to your honey or you sugar up to your girlfriend, kind of snuggle up and get up close to her. And it became the sugar huddle. I always thought it was because it was short and sweet. Turns out, no, it's because he sugar up no, to the honey. No, he really wanted to make it about cuddling. He wanted the cuddle huddle. And the guys was like, no cuddle huddle. <laughs> That's not going to catch on. It's amazing. It's all about <sighs> marketing. Because remember, the West Coast offense was not a name that Bill Walsh gave to the West Coast offense. It was Bill Parcells mocking the West Coast offense after he beat him, saying, what do you think of your West Coast offense now? And the media ran with it and went, that sounds good. That's good. So it's got it. The the name is big. Cuddle Huddle. I don't know if it's got the same uh, kind of, uh, you know, mojo to it as Sugar Huddle. Maybe it does. I don't know. It does rhyme. You got the rhyming element to it. Okay. Okay. One other uh, quick story here, because the Bryce Young story we'll get to in Rod's around the day, and also I'll talk some Texas football. I'll give you a little nugget. I'm doing deep dives, getting ready for spring football. So I'll give you a little nugget there as well. Um, and we'll get to that coming up here in the next segment. All right, uh, so we'll get to Rod's around the day. It'll be kind of a smorgasbord. There's some Texas football there. But also I want to have this Bryce Young discussion, so I think it's pretty good. All of that right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful not the horn. i well, I'm not going to take this anymore.
1: Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real.
0: You ain't keeping it real. Oh my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm.
1: Let's oh, you've got it now. It's Go. time for Rod's Go. rant of the day. Hold on to your butts.
0: All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. I got a few things I want to hear. Just really quickly, uh, the Texans, they are finalizing the coaching staff. Chris... Kiffin, who is related to, he's a, a brother of Lane Kiffin and the son of Money Kiffin. Um, he is going to be the linebackers coach for the Texans. Now, that was announced, uh, got it from Aaron Wilson. And they're going to retain uh, the D-line coach, Jacques Césaire, oh, I believe is his name. They're going to retain him. Cowboys, on the other hand, they uh, we brought this up yesterday. They brought in. An assistant, offensive assistant, uh, Ramon Chin Young is the assistant offensive line coach. And Will, uh, I believe it's Hogger, um, Harger, maybe it's Harder actually. Um, they added him as, um, I believe, an offensive uh, assistant. And I think he's going to be working with the quarterbacks. He might be like an assistant quarterback coach. I believe they have actually not specified exactly what he's doing, but he's joining the staff in offensive capacity. He's he's worked with Dan Quinn before he worked with Dan Quinn when he was in Atlanta in 2019 as an offensive assistant. He worked with now the new offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer when he was in Seattle. I like this guy's resume because he's worked on defense, too. Um, He was at USC most recently working with Caleb Williams with Lincoln Riley, and he ended up working in Jacksonville for a little while with Trevor Lawrence, too, on the uh, Schottenheimer there as well. And Dan Quinn brought him on to his staff when he was with Atlanta. Um, but there was a time in college, actually, he went to he, he had some time at Texas as well, where he was on the defense side of the ball. He's a defensive assistant and in, intern, sorry, an interim linebackers coach, uh, and the linebackers coach at Tennessee. Martin, defensive quality control coach at Texas under Will Muschamp in 2008, defensive assistant at Auburn, and then now most recently he switched to offense. So I do like the fact that. He's kind of very expansive a resume, but he's joining the Cowboys coaching staff. So uh, there is uh, that little update. Bryce Young. Let me give you. We got to get into this Bryce Young story here because it's really, really it's interesting. And this is a silly season, right? This is the silly season where you know the scouts who are putting out all of these different reports or evals of these players, they can get a little silly, especially the stuff they start critiquing. Um, and it seems like the film matters l- less and less and some of the kind of off-the-field or the off-season theater so it starts to matter a little bit more. So he took a picture. <laughs> Bryce Young took a picture with uh, Mina Kimes, who is an NFL Live analyst. She does a really good job. Um, she's an NFL Live analyst, and she took a picture with him, and because of the picture, and they are... They're side by side, all right? Shoulder to shoulder, really close. Everybody's saying he looks too small compared to Mina Kimes.
1: Yeah, because she's like, what, 5'3",
0: 5'4"? She says she is 5'6". Well, she
1: said, I believe she said in the thing, with heels, she was 5'7". And she's only a little bit shorter than him at 6'. foot. But I think she's really a lot shorter, and so that's why they were According worried.
0: According to Mina, she was wearing four-inch heels at the time of the photo was taken on top of the fact that she was, she says, was nearing 5'7 in natural height. 5'7 in natural height. Okay. So that means she's about 5'6 at the heels. That's 5'10. If she's 5'10 in the photo, he looks at least two inches taller than her. Yeah. That would put him you know, right at six foot or right under six foot. So the belief is that Bryce Young is just going to be so, he's going to be really small. And not small necessarily like Kyler Murray, short, because he's taller than Kyler Murray. Remember, Kyler Murray grew like an, an inch and a half right before the combine. Um, smart for him, because uh, he actually ended up, you know, guaranteeing himself to be the number one overall pick. But for Bryce Young, the concern is that he's going to be too slight. I saw a great stat from Dane Brugler. This is a great stat. Of 301 quarterbacks drafted in the last 25 years, only two were were under 6 foot and under 200 pounds and neither one of those were drafted in the top 100 no so I, I, it's very rare for a quarterback to be under 6 foot and under 200 pounds I, but I still think he's the best quarterback in the draft I do
1: and I think he can opinion. put on the weight and go over 200 pretty easily as well
0: but then if you do you want him to do that is it going to affect his game because he is his suddenness is part of what makes him intriguing people he's one of the only players that gets compared good or not, to an NBA player. Like, Steph Curry is the comparison everybody's putting out there about him. That he's yeah. a point guard. And I'm like, that's a good comparison, but it's not. It's football. It's a different game. Yeah, exactly. And now, I'll
1: say he throws the ball over the middle really well. He does. And that's usually your main concern of shorter guys is they can't see over the line. That's yeah, true. So if you're saying, hey, this guy's too short, and you go, but his over-the-middle passing numbers are better than a lot of guys who are 6'5" who have the advantage of being able to see everything over the line, and he's playing in Alabama that has a O-line that is NFL O-line. And
0: he's going up against NFL defensive linemen.
1: Yeah. Like so, week after week. And in practice. <laughs> and in practice. So it's like <laughs> it, the thing of if you go, well, yeah, if it's a a D2 guy where you go, well, yeah, he's only six foot, and then his offensive linemen are all short, then, yeah, maybe you can see over it.
0: But it's Alabama. It's like Alabama. they got, they, they, they have off, they have professional offensive line produce more NFL players than any other program. Yeah, so I know I, 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 I do not subscribe to that stuff. I, I I think it's silly season. It's scouting season. Yeah, and a scout's job is to find out what's wrong with a player. Well, and now what's right with the player, and that's why now we get the critical thoughts about. players.
1: It's also misinformation season as well. Also, everyone you. throwing out smoke screens and everything else. Of oh man, if I were you, if I were you. I'd let him drop to us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is basically what they're trying to say. But I'll, I, listen, the, the 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 philosophy I do subscribe to is Bill Walsh, the late, great Bill Walsh. Very few people can coach the quarterback, and even fewer can evaluate them. It's always been true. And my take is the NFL, and I, I think the NFL is changing, but we'll find out this silly season if they are truly changing their really just kind of antiquated belief system about the quarterback position and the best way I can frame it is: the NFL has tried its best to turn quarterback evaluation and scouting into a science, and not just an inexact science. They want to make it a science. And the the key with science is science is built on you know system, you know a systematic you know enterprise of principles organized that you can. Replicates. That's the whole point of it. That's why science experiments—they give you the same result every and over again. Like you add this element with this element, you're gonna get this. That's science. They want that to be the case with quarterbacks. He's got hand size like this. He's this tall. Got this weight. Uh, the velo is this. He runs this forty. They want to be to add up all these data points and go see it. This many data points equals a really good quarterback. Quarterback evaluation. The great Steve, you know, Bill Walsh understood this. Quarterback evaluation is more of an art form than it is a science. And An art form is a diverse range <laughs> of different activities. And we have no idea what, what ends up provoking us, what art ends up provoking us, whether it's be you know, a painting or whether it be a song or whether it be a TV show. Hell, it could be anything. Art is meant to provoke. It's, it, so the evaluation is more of an art form, and coaches hate that. Because that means they don't ultimately have control and they really cannot predict and replicate the same results of, oh, this quarterback was successful because he did this, this, and this, and he fit this criteria. That doesn't matter. And I think that's why you're starting to get quarterbacks that shatter those old molds. The the NFL has never been more diverse when it comes to quarterback skill sets, ever. You've never seen the NFL look this diverse at quarterback. They got all types, all ranges, shapes, sizes. Right, where he's from your Lamar Jackson so you're oh, Tom Brady just retired. All right, he was kind of, Tom Brady's actually maybe the last of the Mohicans of the, 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 sto, the statues in the pocket. He may have been the last. Like, no quarterbacks are designed that way anymore. They all have functional mobility. They all can run, and they all just, just so very different. You're Jalen Hurts, you're Lamar Jackson, you're Kyle Murray. you're Daniel Jones, you're Josh Allens, you're Patrick Mahomes. They've never – just their skill sets alone have never looked more different and I think it's really good for the game because now everybody understands there, there are different ways to play the quarterback position, not just one way, and not just one way to evaluate it either. Yeah. Well, and that makes the
1: league better because it means you're building different teams that have different offensive linemen with different skill sets and different wide receivers with different skill sets mm-hmm. and tight ends. And it makes you be able to fill fill more full rosters because when everybody's trying to put together the same roster, there's only so many people. And so the the – the competitiveness can die down in a league because if one team has 11 starters that are all good, yeah. that means someone else probably has seven, someone else has three, and then you can build your defenses. Or What are we trying to stop? Are we trying to stop this type of quarterback or that's this type of quarterback? Yeah, that's I, yeah, and it just makes like the league, that. the balance
0: of the league a little bit more when you have more quarterbacks like that. I totally agree. And it, honestly, it makes life – honestly, is what the NFL wants. And This year really hadn't been the case, but I do think it favors offense. It's harder to build defenses when I have to face four or five different types of skill sets at quarterback every season. And now I have to have a quarterback on my roster in practice – who can provide me a dual threat element? If my quarterback is just a quarterback who has functional mobility, I got to have somebody on my pr- roster or practice squad that can replicate or simulate a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray, a Josh Allen, a Daniel Jones. Because if not, the first time my defense sees it is in the game, we're going to get torched, adjusted fields. Like you, you got to have. So I totally agree with you. I think it, it, it even changes how you have to build and construct a roster just because the diversity at the quarterback position. So it's good. And Bryce Young will be another. Like I said, you've only got of the 301 quarterbacks drafted in the last 25 years, only two were under six foot and under 200 pounds. He's going to be a first starting quarterback that's well, that size and that it, frame. And let's be
1: clear. I, I will tell you, Bryce Young at the combine will probably be over 200 pounds. Yeah, because well, now, same thing now, when he Murph. shows up day one, he may be back under 200 pounds but they can put on weight before the combine and take weight back off. You can you and then can. he just won't run a 40. And no, those be right. like those little things will just take off that we won't do. but he can put on a couple pounds. I know I think it was Ryan Leaf had the story about not wanting to get drafted to somebody and they told him to, so he was like, before the draft' they're like, hey, they, they like you, but they don't they think you're too heavy. And so he was like, I don't want to go there. So he just ate nonstop before the combine so he could put on more weight so they wouldn't draft
0: him. Well, he did them a favor.
1: And it was this whole thing <laughs> of trying to – It was, but no, and then they ended up going into it, and he was like the intel they got was wrong, and they still drafted him. Oh, really? I'm sorry, this wasn't right. This was Charles Barkley. I don't know why I thought it was wrong. It was Charles Barkley, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. He didn't uh-huh. want to go there that so because Barkley. he said they were not going to pay him. Now I'm remembering the story. Uh, but they weren't going to pay – the rumor was they were not going to pay him enough money, so he didn't want to go there. So before the draft and before they looked at him, he put on a bunch of weight so that he could be – so they wouldn't want to take him because he thought he wasn't going to get the contract he wanted. And then they drafted him anyway, and they gave him the contract he wanted, so he was fine.
0: And he but, got to eat a lot of food. He to, he but mean, That was
1: still Philly Charlie, uh, Charles Barkley, so he was skinny then. <laughs> he was all skinnier for – Charles.
0: Um, yeah, okay, so I didn't get to my Longhorn topic, so I'll do that next segment instead of off the red. We'll get some Longhorn football conversation in. All of that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, One four nine Horn.
1: I've
0: been comfy late. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn 512 Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. We play jams from very talented human beings that you can uh, jam right here and get a chance to see live right here in the ATX, the live music capital of the world. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick?
1: This is Brody Lane, and they are hey. playing tonight at
0: uh, the Mill Bar and Grill. Hey, I know those guys. I'm, they might be they might be in the neighborhood as well. Yeah, there you go. Shout out to Brody Lane. There you go, man. Like that. Uh, all right, if you missed any of these suggestions from our Man Patrick for 512 Friday, please go to hornfm.com and you can uh, catch them there. All right, I want to give you a little nugget. I won't give you too much, but I'm starting to do spring football deep dives already. Doing some rabbit holing for you folks. And I saw at, at Horn's 247, 24/7, shout to those folks, that JT Sanders in the offseason is taking on like a leadership role. He's he's basically taking ownership of this offense. And I believe it's him and kind of Kelvin Banks is what I've been hearing are the two guys stepping up. Kelvin Banks is a sophomore, but he's already one of the best players in the country. <laughs> so And so is J.T. Sanders, by the way. He's done the best tight end in the Big 12, and him stepping up and, and taking – taking ownership of the offense and taking on leadership role is important because you lost your best leader in Rojo and you lost your best player in Bijan John Robertson. Both of those guys are, are gone. So you got to replace them. And Quinn, you know, I love Quinn Ewers. I think he's great. Glad he cut off the mullet, got the clean-cut hair. But he's not a vocal leader, and we've kind of talked about that already too. Um, you need someone that's going to step up, hold us accountable. And, yes, that vocal leadership is needed. That's why last year it was Rojo doing it. Because that was avoiding. Rojo was like, well, you know what? I'll do it. I, I, was a, I was a quarterback. I'm kind of used to it. I can do that. And so I like that fact. And I was just doing research about 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. And the 12 personnel grouping was way more effective this year because of J.T. Sanders' you know, ascent as a tight end. And I'm expecting him to take a huge leap this year. Remember, he just learned how to play the position before that, he's just an athlete playing wide receiver, playing whatever they wanted to play, and took a year basically as a freshman to learn the tight end position. And, and last year just had a, a hell of a breakout season. And you could argue that he was underutilized. So I went and looked at 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. Uh, this is Massar's first season. And some of the numbers, uh, the, the run rate was way too high. You were running damn near 69% of the time. Out of one back, two tight ends, 12 personnel, that number drops around 62% of the time in 12 personnel, which is really good. You should be throwing more, especially since you've got a target in J.T. Sanders to do it with. Uh, the numbers that really stood out there were the passing numbers. The rushing numbers, they improved too. You were averaging uh, 5.59 yards per rush out of 12 personnel in 2021. And in 2022, you were at six, 6 yards per rush. And true 12 personnel, which is good. But the passing numbers improved tremendously. 12 personnel, the passing numbers in 2021, you're at seven yards per attempt. Uh, That number in 2022 rose to 9.2 yards per attempt. about Over a a two-yard difference from year to year in your yards per attempt out of one back, two tight ends. If you go look at the uh, completion percentage, Um, Around, you know, completion percentage was 68%, and now you're at 70%, so 68%, 2021, 70%. Not that much, not a huge difference, but still an improvement. But the explosive play rate is what I really look at in this true 12 personnel, and I think that's a direct reflection of J.T. Samson, how talented he is. Explosive plays being a rush of at least 10 yards and a reception of at least 15 yards. You had a... 20 over a 20 percent explosive play rate out of your true 12 personnel set that's pretty damn good the only other personnel grouping that had a higher explosive play rate was 21 personnel two backs one tight end. which you guys know nobody's been advocating for more 21 personnel the last four four five years <laughs> multiple head coaches than moi uh so uh you know i saw that i figured that would that would that'd be something that would You know, track and that something that was still even though you had a different offense, you had so much talent in the backfield that that would still be your most effective, if if not one of your most effective personnel groupings. But 12 personnel, just true 12. It does show you that it and Sark loves it, by the way, 40 percent of your usage from 2021 was 12 personnel and that was 27 percent in. 2022. The only reason for the drop was you used a lot of the 0 line package and that what I used to call the Big 12 package. That was that was their other offensive lineman and that was essentially their de-, de facto tight end. So if you add those numbers up, he's still hovering around f- a little over 40 percent of 12 personnel packages with multiple tight ends. So he wants to use it a lot and they should be even more effective this year. Um, when utilizing 12 personnel. But it's an explosive personnel grouping form now and they're more effective passing out of it now. And they pass more out of it now. That's all because of JT Sanders. All right, we come back. NBA All Star Weekend preview on the other side right here on Baldon Line 1049 the horn.